Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. This is, as you've probably gathered, a day early. I was planning on having an Arscast on Friday, but given everything that's gone on in the last 24 hours or so, I feel like the conversation I've just had with Philippe O'Claire ought to be released today. So that's what I'm doing. We chat about the, uh, the statement about redundancies, not just about the redundancies themselves, but how that was communicated, how it was framed and how it's come after what was such a glorious weekend and kind of knocked the stuffing out of the FA Cup win in many ways. I was planning on talking to Philippe about that great win against Chelsea and about, you know, what it might mean for the season and what it might mean for next season. We do talk about that a little bit later on. We talk about Mikel Arteta and the positives that he has had and, and some of the things that are exciting and have potential at this football club. But it's hard or it's hard. It would be wrong to ignore the other stuff that's been going on this week uh, as well. So that, uh, given the fact that it is front and centre, is the main crux of of our conversation in this particular Arscast. So I'm not going to delay. I'm not going to do a big, long intro. I'll be back after the conversation to talk to you about some other little bits and pieces um, at the end of the show, as always. But for now, this is me and Philippe O'Claire. All right, joining me now on the Arscast, delighted to welcome back uh, in what was supposed to be an FA Cup winning slash end of review, end of season review podcast, but it's probably going to be something a little bit different given what's happened in the last few days. It's Philippe O'Claire. Hello, Philippe. Good morning, afternoon, evening to you, Andrew, whatever time it is that people are listening to this podcast. Exactly. Uh, taking into <laughs> account the various time zones in which many Arsenal fans across the globe live. Very inclusive exactly. of you. A wonderful way to start the conversation. <laughs> uh, it is morning here and it is the morning after Arsenal uh, announced 55 redundancies were to be made, uh, including the head of recruitment, the head of UK scouting, um, quite how you make roles like like that redundant is a question we might come to in a little while. Can I just ask you your gut feeling on this? Because um, it has been a difficult season. We all know that. Uh, we're going to come to some of what happened during the season and, and talk about it a little bit later on. But after Saturday, after Wembley, there was a real sort of feel-good factor. People were on mm. a high because we'd won the cup, because in the circumstances in which we'd won it, it showed a kind of strength of character and adversity and, um, you know, some promise and hope and encouragement from Mikel Arteta in terms of what he's getting out of the squad. And then this 
statement that came out yesterday, the way it was phrased and, and the the crux of it was like a kick in the bollocks when I read it. Yes, I think you've done a, a very good um, summing up of the situation. I was like you, I was absolutely stunned when I read the news. Um, and I think like everybody, almost my first reaction was, um, how is it possible to justify this mm. brutal decision uh, by intimating or insinuating or innuendoing that it was the only way that we could carry on competing on the transfer market. That's the way I felt. It, yeah. That's felt. Yeah. And in a way that it was passing on the guilt to other people, like to supporters who are not going to renew their season tickets because they can't afford them and all the rest of it. And so I was, I was quite, I was really disgusted of Shepherd's Bush when I read that yeah. uh, yesterday. And actually my feeling hasn't uh, changed actually. I think it has actually strengthened mm. um, because I don't think there is much chance, Andrew, that we're going to see an about turn. Uh, a, a kind of Johnsonian turn, or, or or what the what Liverpool FC did. Remember when they followed their staff, and and then they mm. came back on that decision because of the pressure uh, of the supporters. I haven't met a single or talked to a single Arsenal supporter who is not quite shocked by by the decision, and and the, the response actually on social networks as well has been hundred percent negative. Nobody quite understands why it is impossible for the club to uh, find the, what, 2.5 million pounds needed, maybe a bit, let's go 3 million pounds mm. needed to uh, pay the salaries of these people, uh, most of whom I would imagine do not have, uh, won't have the salary of Francis Cachigal. Um, yeah. So, yes, it's, uh, it's really put a dampener on things, giving that, strangely enough, and I, I don't know if it's the same for you, that win against Chelsea in an empty Wembley gave me more pleasure than any of the three cups that we won under uh, Wenger, the last three cups, which were more about relief, uh, surprise in the in Mertesacker's final, which, which was a lovely moment. But mm. this one felt a little bit special. I mean, actually, not, not a little bit special. It really felt special. You really felt, well, we've got the springboard. Um, what Arteta has achieved is magnificent. The way the players have... I've, I've comported and behaved and has been superb yeah. um, all through the lines really chuffed for Emiliano Martinez uh, lovely to see Maitland Niles getting a game and you know everything was like I love everybody yeah 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 <laughs> no, I, know, I know what you mean because like with Wenger and the 2014 that was a huge relief but it was yeah. more a case of expectation this is what we should be doing this is what we should have been doing for X amount of years before that and like you I was hugely enthused by Saturday I felt that given the the way everything had been going to, to put in place this kind of a platform this kind of a building block really augured well for the future and it really augured well for the work that Mikel Arteta was going to do and mm -hmm. going to be able to do with the club. So I, I absolutely see exactly what you're, you're saying there. Um, uh, you know, like you, I feel very um, unhappy to, mm -hmm. to read the statement and to have it framed in a way which says these 55 people have to lose their jobs so we can invest in the team. This is a yeah. statement from your club. It's sort of this emotive language putting it out there when in reality it is it's corporate double speak. It's absolute bullshit of of the worst order. Uh, yeah. And that really um I found hard to take even if you can step back and maybe look objectively at something like this and say COVID-19 
no season tickets, no uh, commercial activity, no match day revenue, no hospitality revenue. You can see on a, on a on an objective level why uh, job losses might be a case, but it's the 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 cack handed way with which that has been communicated three days after what was such a glorious. Um, inspirational almost win at Wembley which gave people renewed hope and optimism that the direction of the club that we all support was was turning around I'm also wondering how the players themselves are feeling about that that's exactly what I was going to bring up to you next because there's a, an article this morning in the the uh, athletic written by David Ornstein and James uh, Gunnar Blog mm-hmm. about how the players are um, they want a, a meeting with the club about this um, David has tweeted this morning about how, uh, let me just bring it up here uh, just for one second while we're talking. Uh, it says, Arsenal players not happy with 55 staff being made redundant. They agreed a 12.5% wage cut in April after receiving assurances nobody would lose jobs. Yesterday's yeah. news has left the squad angry and they plan to raise it with Arsenal bosses. And, and the other part of that for me, Philippe, is that you know we know that it took the intervention of Mikel Arteta to convince some of the squad who didn't necessarily trust the ownership that this pay cut was a necessary thing to protect jobs at the football club. So to me, it it feels like not only have the players been misled, but potentially Mikel Arteta himself has been misled by those at at ownership level or certainly those at executive level. And that's got to be a huge concern about what the ramifications are when you're trying to build something at a football club to have this schism between the the playing squad and the manager and potentially those at executive level and ownership level is is really not healthy. No, uh, you you do get a feeling that there's a kind of um, dehumanization uh, which is happening, as in even though the the language which is used in the statement is very emotional and emoted and whichever I mean all the derivation you can find uh, around the word emote. Uh, the decision is is taken as if it were in in a kind of a moral vacuum, mm. because basically it doesn't take into account obviously uh, the the fifty five people losing their jobs. It's uh, probably a tragedy for for a number of them, not not necessarily for the head of scouting and people like that who had decent positions and one would have hoped had also the salary to show for it. But for I would imagine a number of people in the much lower um, echelons of of the hierarchy, which is club employees, and it's an awful thing to face but it's the the what was the measure that was taken i mean is is indicative of of a way of doing business which is you know basically it's late stage capitalism that's the the, the human element has totally gone out of it but you use it in the communication yeah. and it's the as you said the schism it's the um the contrast uh, the chasm between what is said and what is being done, which is so hard to take. Um, and, I mean, it's not something which is um, limited to, to Arsenal Football Club. It's unfortunately a, a dichotomy that is visible almost everywhere in society and everywhere where is power, where mm. is, there is wealth. But to think that it is our club doing it and uh, in, in a context, you know, we're still, I suppose, naively or stupidly, uh, clinging on to the hope that football is somehow different, that um, somebody who owns a football club is first and foremost a custodian. Uh, this is not the case. Uh, Kronko is not a custodian. 
Kroenke is somebody who owns Arsenal, which for him is a very nice way of getting, or was a nice way to get him uh, collateral securities and so forth, and is a means to make money. Uh, and if it's to make money, let's sack people, let's sack people. And and because people are not people, really. They're just tools to make more money. And therefore, you take the human element out of it. And because of that, you completely forget that the players, too, are human. Mm. The people, they are human beings who are affected by the fact that, you know, it might be that uh, I don't know exactly who's been uh, uh, fired. But given the large number of people who are fired, I would imagine that there's quite a few of these people that the players used to say hello on their way to the training ground. Uh, people, perhaps people who were, you know, sweeping the floor in the dressing room, people who were serving them at the canteen, I, I don't know, who were mowing the grass at, at London Colney. And yeah. so these people are no longer there. And the players are supposed to carry on because, you know, you earn a lot of money, so shut up and carry on. Yeah. So it's, and, and, and it is, uh, by the way, the greatest failure of, of this kind of uh, late stage capitalistic approach. Um, because it, it, people are not that stupid. They can see the difference between what is said and what is genuinely happening. And we've seen the true colors now of, of San Croco. For those who de- doubted what these colors were, mm. well, there you are, guys. Uh, our owners are not exactly uh, benefactors of football or of Arsenal Football Club or their fans. No, I mean, there's a tweet here from uh, Owen Mitchell, who's that owner. Uh, and there's a picture of Kieran Tierney, who is uh, paying tribute uh, with the FA Cup to uh, a guy called Tim Parham, who is the rehabilitation coordinator at Arsenal, who is losing his job, who's been apparently oh, a victim of these redundancies. Uh, and Owen says, the guy on the left, which is Tierney, was asked to take a pay cut to protect jobs. The guy on the right still lost his job. So what does Kieran Tierney think of the guy who was so uh, instrumental in helping him get back to full fitness after a difficult injury, and he's now uh, sacked or made redundant um, as if somehow Arsenal don't need a rehabilitation coordinator. You know, uh, you, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and look, there is this idea, isn't there, that, look, this is the way business works. This is how it goes. You know, player people get made redundant. Arsenal have to cut costs. And mm. that's... Um, that's the nature of business across the world. I think we can all understand that. It's much more difficult to take. Well, uh, I, no, I, yeah. I, I, up to a certain point. No, okay, okay. Um, no, I'll, Andrew, I'll, because I'll I mean, maybe back. I'm very old-fashioned, but I do remember people when their, their company was in trouble putting their own money to save okay. it. This I, doesn't seem to be the case. Now, yep. fuck the company. I'll keep my money. This is what the way it's going. Sure, no, okay. I'll roll back on that because actually I was talking to somebody <laughs> here. Uh, um, I should say the nature of some businesses. I was talking to a man... Uh, in Dublin yesterday who or this weekend who owns a pub and the you know the hospitality industry like many has been really badly hit here because of COVID-19 and they are bending backwards to pay the staff and keep the staff that they'd uh, they've had employed for 15 20 years at, at this pub and you know they're not owned by a billionaire they're not owned by somebody who uh, could pay this you know it's pocket change so how do we how do we try and readjust our minds to the idea that, you know, some people will look at this and say, well, that's just business. Revenues are down. Therefore, you've got to cut costs. People are going to have to go. You know, people sort of accept that as the way it should be, but maybe it should be a different way. Maybe if you are the owner of a business, maybe if you are a billionaire, you have a responsibility, whether it's a corporate responsibility or a moral responsibility to the people who are your staff to not lay them off in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. 
when it's perfectly within your uh, financial capability to do it. You're not stretching yourself. You're not having to remortgage. You're not having to, like, cash in your chips or anything like it. This is something that Arsenal, as a, a football club, they could repurpose those staff. They could keep them in their jobs for a year. And if a year down the line there's still all kinds of uh, of financial problems, well, at least they could be seen to have tried in some way to do the right thing but this doesn't feel like that at all and then we we come of course to the idea of of these uh these 55 people have to lose their jobs so we can invest in the team and this isn't a criticism of Willian but Willian is going to get a gigantic signing on fee which is many times the size of the money that it would take to pay those staff for 12 months yep i quite agreed and but i wouldn't put the the blame at the at the feet of Will, uh, no, 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 I'm not blaming. I'm, I'm talking I, I about would, the, would, the, the construct. Would, uh, but I think people are going to do that, but the, the, which is a typically um, uh, populist move. Uh, it's like a bit what we're seeing in England at the moment when uh, seemingly a majority of people are blaming uh, their compatriots for the fact that the country is a complete mess in terms of COVID-19. Is They're blaming not the government. They're not blaming the people who have the power. They're blaming the people who are the victims of the power, mm. and that, that which is a populist trick. It's the oldest trick in the book for populists. And the same way that you can point the finger at a player saying, "Ooh, look at him, greedy bugger," mm. uh, and and in the same time, I've just I was just reading a piece which had been published in a uh, in the Institute for Policy Studies um, uh, in April, uh, which showed that Stan Kroenke's own fortune had gone up by 323 million pounds, the equivalent of since the start of 2020. He's somebody who's done very well out of uh, the pandemic. So it is even more obscene. And I, I couldn't agree more. That, and and I, t- I don't think it's maybe there's a responsibility. Of course, there is a responsibility if you're a business owner to look after the people who work for you. And, and that's, the, to me, the very, it's, it just shows how late and I'm sorry this is turning into a political podcast, listeners. But oh, actually, I'm not sorry because these are the questions we should be asking ourselves. Um, you know, we were also, I was naived in thinking that perhaps this pandemic would actually speak to the nicer, kinder, gentler, more generous side of people. It's the opposite. It's speaking to the absolutely most, pff, mm. I mean, most rubbish part of ourselves when people have got things to protect. And in the case of uh, San Kronke, it's uh, billions of dollars, billions and billions and billions of dollars. Mm. And he's, he's added to that, just like Jeff fucking Bezos. I was now the uh, fortune, uh, which he probably could solve all the planet's you know, problems within five days, <laughs> <laughs> but he won't do it. Yeah. And, and if he can double his stupid, ugly, obscene fortune, he will do it. And some people will say, well, that's, that's business. It's not business. It's totally immoral. It's um, it's an insult to to everything to, to us. And in fact, yes, I mean, what when when Arsenal Football Club and I, yes, of course, Arsenal Football Club will have some financial challenges, but which the the, the club is perfectly capable uh, of facing. Certainly, more. I mean, I've got a mate who has a restaurant in Peterborough. Uh, it's a Polish guy, uh, Damien. Mm. Very very good restaurant. He's worked his ass off during this pandemic to keep his staff on. He's done things that, honestly, I, I'm, I'm, you know, my admiration for, for him has, has no bounds. He was working 14 hours a day baking bread and 
imagining how he could deliver that to people. Why was he doing that? It was not to save his business, or rather it was to save his business in as much as he wanted to save the people who were working for him and had been working for him for a while. Mm. So just like a pub owner, Kroenke is the very opposite of that. And it makes you feel sick. It doesn't make you feel sick of being an Arsenal fan. It actually reminds you of why you're an Arsenal fan and why this guy is not an Arsenal man. It's got nothing to do with Arsenal, really. Yeah, I, I agree. It's... Um... You know, I think the reaction, of course, there have been some dissenting voices and I, I you know, I struggle very uh, much with the idea um, that people might side with uh, a billionaire over 55 people Listen, just they, like they, them. Listen, they, they side with torturers, so don't be surprised. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But, it, you know, it, it feels like... To me, you know, I I, um, I I only want Arsenal to be the very best that it can be, and I'm sure that's the same for you and, and for most of our listeners. I find it difficult and upsetting when things um, damage the reputation of the club, you know? Yeah. Um, whatever about what happens on the pitch, that's sport. We can all compartmentalize that. You can be good for a while, and you can be not so good for a while, and you can win things, and you can not win things. And what people think and what other fans think isn't really, you know, the be-all and end-all, to be honest. But, you know, if there's honest endeavor involved in it, you, you can kind of get behind it. But, but uh, you know, Arsenal, the institution, and I feel for, you know, the people, a lot of the people who work there who, who really are invested in what's good about Arsenal and what's best for Arsenal and the good things that Arsenal does as a football club, as an institution, the Arsenal Foundation, the work it does in the community, the importance that it has, not just in North London, but everywhere. And I feel like stuff that what happened yesterday really has a negative impact on the perception of of what I think um, at the heart of it is still something that is uh, fundamentally a, a good thing, if that makes sense. Completely. I mean, basically, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to add anything to that because I think what you've said is exactly what I think. And right. I think most of us are, are thinking at the moment. And uh, did you, yes, you, you, you're thinking of, uh, you know, the, uh, the work done by, by Arsenal in the community. And heaven knows that some of the officers and there have been absolute, you know, heroes in, in what they've been doing. Or even what uh, a number of the club employees, what the club has done during the pandemic has been perfectly commendable. This is different. This is the moment when uh, we, we're faced with a very uh, stark reality of what it is to be a business in 2020. Um, I'm, I'm not, and, and also, it, it shows that uh, the uh, say that we have, we fans, season ticket holders, whoever, have in the way the club is run is non-existent, mm. absolutely none. I mean, so it it also uh, enhances your feeling of powerlessness, which you didn't always have, you know, in the past. That uh, you know, it, it, it's not that so long ago that you felt that as an Arsenal supporter and and shareholder or past shareholder, yeah, you did have you did have a, a voice, even if people kind of ignored it most of the time. <laughs> Um, at least you had, you know, uh, a way to express it. And perhaps the club was a little bit more careful mm. in the way it behaved. These, these days are over. And um, what the consequences will be uh, on the uh, performances of the team and the way the club goes forward, I don't know. Because I would imagine that some players who were perhaps on the verge of signing a new contract, uh, I think you can... You can guess which player I'm thinking of in particular, or extending one, 
might be looking at this uh, not too sure about this really yeah and uh, and um, not too sure you know especially coming as you say coming after such a high when and especially because as well the, the i would say the virtues of artita's team are completely at the opposite end of the spectrum from the kind of principles or lack of principles that we're seeing at work here because Arteta's team is very much it's a collective effort with some brilliant players in there but you do get a feeling that everybody's in, in there for the right reasons you do get the feeling that everybody's working for everybody that there is a wonderful togetherness which we haven't had at the, at the club for a very long time and suddenly this togetherness is being well imperiled I would imagine by the decision um, the crass decision of an owner and the way as you say in which it's been um, you know, presented to to the public and absolutely mm. no preparation. There hasn't been, there haven't been any indications, by the way, that this was coming. I mean, the, the fact is that yeah. you know, yes. I mean, Arsenal is in a peculiar situation in terms of its revenue because perhaps more than any other club in in the Premier League, especially s- since we uh, have failed to qualify for the Champions League, we do rely on match day revenue to a great extent to uh, for the um, for the income of the club and obviously this has taken a huge hit and the hospitality everything that goes with it so i would imagine the uh, the figures are not going to be very pretty to say the least on the other hand uh, there is nothing again that prevents the owner from uh, putting some money in especially since the uh, financial fair play uh, regulations as you know mm. Uh, have been relaxed by by UEFA. Well, they're uh, they're they're bendable anyway. You can do what yeah. you want as long as people don't find the emails for a few years, <laughs> or hire a, a a good couple of a couple half a dozen of the most <laughs> expensive lawyers in town. Yeah, and and manage to get two of the three to to manage to to nominate two of the three judges, which are going to. Uh, <laughs> Past sentence or not, as yeah. it were, on your case. Sounds, How wonderful sounds is that? like a wonderful scenario for people yeah. that might be able to make that happen. I mean, how do we, Philippe, um, we, we can talk about KSC and we can talk about Stan and Josh and, and look at them as, um, you know, these corporate owners, corporate entities, but how much responsibility do those at the top of the club have to take for the way that this has been implemented, the way that this has been uh, communicated in particular uh, you know, Arsenal don't have a CEO, which seems to me like a strange way to run a business of this size. It, it feels to me like a strong chief executive would be crucial, particularly at a time like this. Arsenal have this job share situation where Raul Sanyehi is responsible for the football and Vinay is responsible for the business side of the club. Um, quite to whom they report uh, is unclear. I suppose it just goes straight to, to Stan and Josh. But it feels like at executive level, there is a there's a piece missing, an important piece missing from what should be considered um, uh, the, the right kind of structure to run any org- organization of this size. But, mm. you know, do they not have to I mean, the, the statement that was released yesterday was co-signed by them. I am taking it for granted that this was an edict from on high, from from Denver or Delaware or Los Angeles or wherever it was that Stan was uh, laying his head and, and gave the order out. But at the end of the day, they're responsible for how that's communicated. So do we not have to look internally as well? 
Yes, but this reminds me of a conversation we had almost like a year ago when we were trying to understand the structure of the club mm. and we, we, we did not quite understand how it was working. We, we, we found it very difficult to see, oh, this, this person is doing this, this person is doing that, but there is nobody who is really in charge of the whole operation. And by the way, there's a, there's a question, and I know COVID has, you know, has played with our brains and we've forgotten everything. We don't know which year it is any longer, which season has just finished, where we don't know these things any longer. But correct me if I'm wrong, Arsenal do not have a chairman any longer. No. Sir Chips Keswick resigned in May 2020, correct? Yeah. I am not I'm not aware of the fact that anybody's taken his place. I mean they would say that that in, you know, the 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 role that he had was ceremonial. Uh, it wasn't really, you know, there was no authority or no power with that. Therefore, as but, but he am I right? Down, am no, I you're right. right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there has not we are, been. We're a club without a chairman. I mean, even if the chairman is the equivalent of the president of the Italian Republic, and is like a, a tutelar figure. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, you know, Sir Chips Keswick, whatever his faults and his qualities may be, was an Arsenal man and is an Arsenal man. Mm. Uh, just like, by the way, and that's you know, to talk about contrast, Ken Fryer. All this beautiful celebration of Ken Fryer's 70 years at the club. Yeah. You know, with the FA Cup final and everything. I mean, I wonder what Ken is thinking of that. He's an Arsenal man. Yeah. He's a genuine Arsenal man. And also these people have been, you know, oh, here it is. Have your nice celebration. And that's it. And now, you know, bugger off. Um, But it's, I I find it quite strange that we do not have somebody who actually represents the club, even if it's, as I said, in a kind of honorific uh, position. And we don't have a chairman and we don't have a CEO. That's a very, very, very strange uh, way of doing, being a football club. There mustn't be that many around which have got uh, these two uh, characteristics. Mm. Yeah, Mm. look, I I, I think... I think there's something fundamentally wrong with the way that the the club is is set up at this moment in time. I think it has left us open to uh, an element of opportunism um, or to opportunists, I might say. Um, So what what do you make of the decision to make redundant the head of recruitment or uh, the head of international scouting, Francis Kajigao? I mean, if, if, if it was presented as a sacking, you might say, well, he is going to be replaced because, and he may well be replaced. And, and maybe people can make an argument that, that, uh, you know, scouting over the years is an area in which Arsenal, uh, needed to make improvements. Um, but a week after the transfer window opens to make redundant your head of yep. international scouting, your head of UK scouting, uh, on top of a swathe of other cuts which have come to the scouting department. You know, it raises questions about how the recruitment process at Arsenal is being operated. I think it's being operated by corruption, or am I wrong? I wouldn't disagree with that, or certainly I would say that he has uh, a heavy amount of influence uh, at the football club when you look at the targets that we've uh, been linked with, when you look at some of the players that have come in, when you look at some of the deals that he has been involved in. It seems, you know, when you look at the fact that he is watching games from the director's box with Edu, who is his long-term 
associate. I don't know that they're, uh, he's necessarily his client, but they have a long-time working relationship, which goes back to uh, the Brazil-Corinthian uh, side back in the uh, mid-2000s. And Raul Sanyehi, of course, who is a, you know, who is a good friend of his as well. Yes. And uh, the thing is, I mean, you could say, you know, going back to Kachigao, they could say that it's, it's in a way the last link, real link with the Wenger era, which is going because, of course, um, Kachigao was uh, instrumental in bringing players like uh, Ches Fabregas or, or Lauren mm. uh, or Santi Cazola to the club and many, many, and many others. And uh, he was a very, uh, I mean, he was the reason why our Spanish connection was so strong because uh, though he is uh, he's British, uh, he actually worked uh, uh, in Spain for a very long time yeah. and, uh, and played actually in Spain for quite a long time. So you could say that it's the end of the Wenger era. And in a way that Gajigao's presence was uh, a bit, quite a bit anachronistic. But this being said, he's, he's still only 50, he's, um, he's still as well connected as he's ever been. And um, again, there's been no announcement of any um, nomination, which I find bizarre. I find bizarre when somebody, because he's been incredibly important in the, in the way the club has been run. And, and he was actually involved in, um, I think, in the recruitment of... Um, Saliba and, and Martinelli, who would have been anyway. Yeah, he's certainly heavily involved with Martinelli. It was one of his and, and connections yes, in Brazil. Who, what a find, what yeah. a find Gabriel yeah. Martinelli has been. And so you think, well, he knows his job quite clearly. Uh, and I think Saliba is a player that uh, you, you like, you'll, you'll enjoy seeing him in action. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit baffled. Uh, I can't imagine that his salary was so huge that um, – uh, it would be justified to find somebody who was perhaps a little bit less, uh, um, you know, well remunerated. And maybe they have somebody in mind. But again, uh, the, the way it's going, um, uh, when I said Kejorapshan, I mean, it's because I, I don't understand the way the club is run, to be honest. I don't find the, the relationship healthy at all. I don't think that an agent, and especially an agent like Kejorapshan, who is somebody has got a lot of personal charm and uh, and all these sort of things, and lots of connections with some very, very big hitters in the, in the world in the world of football. Um, I can't see how it is going to be for the benefit of the club. Mm. He's a very different animal, for example, from George Mendes. Like Mendes, you know exactly what you get uh, when you get Mendes, he, which means he's going to make a lot of money, that's for sure. But he's somebody who delivers projects. It's like what he did at Wolves, what he did at Monaco beforehand, what he did with many Portuguese clubs as well, that he has a very clear idea. This is strategically speaking, he knows where he wants the club to go. And uh, he's actually a very successful agent if you're willing to pay him. And if you're okay with perhaps the ethical dimension of some of his dealings, Mm -hmm. You know, which yeah, is also yeah. an, another problem. But you see what he did at Monaco, for example, where he was basically in charge of recruitment. They became French champions and reached the semi-finals of the European uh, of the of the Champions League uh, after beating Manchester City. And um, and it was with a team that had been in second division like two years beforehand. You see what he's done with Wolves, and you might not like the way the club is structured. You might not like his relationship with the Chinese owners. Again, you might have plenty of reservations, but you can say that as a sports project, if you manage to set it aside from the rest, it is a remarkable success. I don't think Jurapian is that type of agent or super agent. He's somebody who does uh, deals. Mm. He's not a club builder. He's a deal maker. Yeah, I mean, look, you could ask fans of Queen's Park Rangers or Reading or Corinthians 
how mm. Jurabjian's influence has had an impact on their football clubs. And I, you know, I will leave it for people to use um, Dr. Google uh, to, to find that out <laughs> if they're not aware of, of, of how that's gone. So that's what, you know, I, I, like you, I would share concerns about that. But I think I also have concerns um, about the way that recruitment at Arsenal has become less focused on things that we not too long ago were saying were really important were the modern way to find players like there's no one way to do it you can have a great scout who can identify talent but you can also use the data and information that is now prevalent in football that wasn't there uh, years ago but is now available and Arsenal, mm-hmm. of course, bought a company called Stat DNA, and I've you know had my jokes about Stat DNA, um, but it seems to me like there's a move away from using um, modern methods of player identification and recruitment. So Jason Rosenfeld, who was the head of Stat DNA, left Arsenal. Sven Mislintat, who is somebody who who has a, a a very different way of player recruitment to Raul Sanyehi, who prefers, as we know, this contacts-led approach, left Arsenal. Uh, we now have Francis Kajigao leaving. Um, it feels like we're going to be fishing out of a very small pool, using only um, the kind of bait that will attract a certain amount of the football talent that is in the world. And at a, at a time when Arsenal clearly have financial issues it seems like being as smart as we can possibly be in the market is crucial instead Mm. we're restricting ourselves to deals which may not be the best way of using the the limited resources that we have and and you know there's sort of this veneer of understandability if you like to some of the deals like Willian for example not necessarily a deal I would do but you could make a very good case that Willian even at 32 uh, he'll be 32 on on Sunday uh, could could make an impact in this mm-hmm. Arsenal team given the lack of creativity and given the lack of goals and and what have you there's a very good case to be made for that but is there a, a case to be made that perhaps the money that you invest in Willian in the long term might be better off uh, being invested in younger talent who can grow and and who can uh, achieve their potential this this short term approach to doing deals to squad building hasn't worked we finished this season in 8th we finished 8th yeah. and scraped into 8th in the premier league based on a recruitment policy which saw us bring older, experienced players to get back into the Champions League as soon as possible. It hasn't worked. So why are we still doing it? Yes, and and the other thing which surprises me is that if Stan and Josh Kronke are are so keen on making sure that they don't lose any money, actually they carry on making money, why are they sanctioning this approach? Which is in fact the very opposite uh, to what they should be doing, which thrifty and as you said you know when like for example Gabriel Martinelli is a perfect example of what we should be doing yeah I would say Kieran Tierney is a very good example he wasn't that expensive he's a super player uh, as, as we know uh, and then also we have a decent academy as you know, we, you know which has produced quite a few players actually which which, which Arteta has has used and well used and used well um, of course, you know it's, it's not just Saka; it's also Eddie, uh, it's also Nelson. There's there's plenty of it. There's Willock, uh, the Smithrow. There's loads of of players there, 
whom we can build something with. And you think suddenly, well, uh, okay, so we give another contract to David Lewis. We give uh, a contract to William. What on earth is going on here? You know, players who are basically doing their last gig. Players who normally, this kind of deals, and, and no offense meant here, but they would be going to Turkey. Mm. <laughs> you, know, to, to, you know, a league of that kind, or perhaps to an Italian club. Or to some the, Italian you know, clubs some of the, who, some who, of the Middle East clubs. Who love to have yeah. players of, of that type. I mean, both of them very fine players, uh, but coming to the end of their careers. It's pretty obvious. The guys are, do not have a sell-on value, which is also a, a bit of a problem. And you compare this recruitment policy with the recruitment policy of other clubs, which are supposedly Arsenal's rivals, and you think, well, how can Arsenal be right when everybody seems to be doing and people who are doing better than we are in terms of results, I have a completely different policy. If you look at what Chelsea, whom we've beautifully beaten, how sweet was that? Um, but you look at who they are looking for on the transfer market. Um, they brought the edge. Uh, they're getting Timo Werner. They're after Kai Havertz. You know, you look at it and think, wow, these are players, serious players. We've got a, a sell-on value as well. Yeah. They're not cheap. They're not cheap, but they've got a sell-on value. And it's a buyer's market at the moment. So, and you think, well, surely there, are, there is better business to be done than that. And um, it's also an, a, a form of uh, risk aversion, which is extraordinary for a capitalist. Normally, uh, one of the few... Uh, one of the, one of the qualities you might uh, associate <laughs> with capitalism is is uh, an appetite for risk and and the willingness to take risks to reach you know the the conclusion that you you hope for and which means investing at times and at the moment it's a really good moment to invest actually as anybody will tell you yeah if you have some cash in the bank which Arsenal has got by the way. Um, you can actually make your presence felt. And you're not going to make your presence felt by offering an, an, an unhoped-for contract to an aging player who is very good. I really like William. I've always liked him very much. But when I read the figures that were submitted in the, in the press, I'm thinking, what? This can't, be, this can't be true. This can't be real. This is crazy. But apparently it is. Well, yeah. Look, I mean, I, 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 I just find it mind-boggling that in this modern football era, we seem to be going back to a way of recruiting players, which is, I think you used the word anachronistic before, mm -hmm. and that's what it feels like. It doesn't yeah. feel like something which is part of uh, a strategy to rebuild a club which, let's face it, Despite the FA Cup win, and I loved it as much as you did, and everybody here who's listening to this, I, I loved it. I thought it was amazing, and I felt very emotional and happy on Saturday because of what we did and how we did it. Um, and I felt happy for everybody uh, related to Arsenal fans and everything because we've all been through so much this season. But it was a terrible season. It has been a period of decline um, under Arsene Wenger, but also since Arsene Wenger. And the people yeah. who have been tasked with rebuilding the club, tasked with with improving performance and making decisions for the benefit of the football club, at the very best, you could say they've got them wrong. Yeah. There's another more cynical question you might ask, but I, I guess we probably shouldn't. 
Um, <laughs> you know, we shouldn't, but I think people can understand what, what I'm talking about. Um, so, I mean, on the season as a whole, uh, what can we learn from it, Philippe? Or what, what do we, what do we, what are we capable of learning from it? Uh, if not from a, an organizational point of view, because it feels like perhaps, and we know the transfer window is is open and will play out and we can see what we do and maybe in six weeks' time we'll feel different about things. But as fans, yeah. as supporters... It's open for a very long time, by yeah, the way. I till October, the exact date at which it closes, October but it's 6th. October 6th and then October right. 17th for transfers between the Premier League and English uh, EFL clubs. Much. So there you go. So, you know, there's a there's a long period in which many things could happen. So I accept that, you know, six weeks down the line, we might feel very differently about things. But I, I just wonder, you know, as supporters, what have we learned um, about what Arsenal have done and how Arsenal have performed this season? Uh I mean, I tend to be a half glass half full type of person. So, and honestly, there have been two seasons in any case. Maybe there have been three seasons. There's been uh, the Emery months, mm. the uh, Arteta before pandemic, and the post uh, lockdown Arteta. It's almost like you're talking about three different teams here. And, um, the first, the way in which it um, disintegrated, I still, I still can't quite understand what happened. <laughs> I think I, I, there was an international break. Do you remember? Yeah. Because at the beginning of the season, we thought, ah, come on, you know, uh, let's, let's, you know, we've signed Nicolas Pepe. That's great. Um, and we'd played a, a European final and uh, we thought, yeah, maybe, you know, we can will be contenders for, for the top four. And then it fell apart at an extraordinary, I mean, extraordinarily quickly when you think about it. And um, in, in ways that I cannot quite understand because it, I think we, everything turned against Unai Emery, including himself, uh, in the matter of a couple of weeks. So you could say that this was a disaster. And, and this was a point, remember, we were talking about the real risk of relegation at the time. Yeah. And it was, these were not idle words because this can happen to, to a side that is disintegrating. So if we're talking about the three seasons, this, was, this one was a nightmare. The second one was uh, an, a moment of consolidation. And perhaps we'll come to see it as an absolutely crucial period in Arsenal's history in a few years' time. Mm. If we manage to leave aside all, all the things we've been talking about for, for a long time already today. But uh, the moment when Arteta actually showed that, yeah, he had the guts and he had the, the honesty and the strength of character needed to take a team that was really going absolutely nowhere. And, and, at, and it was the stabilization uh, of the patient. And, and, and now we've, we, we're in the, I would say, post-convalescence phase. Uh, or rather, we're still convalescing, but we were allowed out. Um, but we've just and, fallen down a manhole. Yeah. But let's try and forget about that for a second, if we yeah. can. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because so, so much, I mean, lots of positive things have happened during the year, uh, considering where we were, you know, in November. Um, certainly the emergence of some very, very fine players. I mean, Sakai is just like, it's just wonderful to see a, a young player 
you know, Blossom has his stone and showing so much talent, so much intelligence, so much flexibility. Um, and, and a few others. I mean, I, I, I've been impressed with, with Nelson of late. And I didn't quite thought he had it in him, mm. but he's impressed me uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting him to impress me and uh, I guess impress others. Um, similarly, um, there are many other reasons to, to, to rejoice. We've, we, we, we had to deal with an appalling list of injuries uh, once again yeah. and, and managed to do so, uh, especially at, at the back for a change. Uh, we saw the renaissance and the resurgence of Shkordan Mustafi, who went from um, yesterday's garbage can contents to Bionic Man within a few weeks. It's extraordinary, the mm. transformation of that player. So if you look, and I'm sure you could add your own um, you know, suggestions here, the fact that Obama Young was magnificent again, and that we must, 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 must keep him. Um and uh, no, he could carry on. The Shaka being rediscovered as a player, thanks to Arteta. Danny Ceballos, a player I, I absolutely love and um, whom I hope as well. It looks good, actually, that, that we, we should be able to keep. And you think, wow, the elements are there for a team that is actually, you know what, this word, exciting. It's actually an exciting team to think of. The potential is there. Yes. It's not perfect. We're, you know, still a bit light, lightweight in, in defense, I think, certainly in central defense. I don't think we've still, you know, found an equilibrium there. And there's going to be the question of who of Leno or Martin is. That's going to be an interesting one, by the way. It's going to be a scrap, isn't it? I think, I think yeah. from what I hear, neither of them are going anywhere uh, next season, which is a good thing. Um, yep. And it's going to be a scrap. And I think that's a positive thing. We're going I think to have the best re- number two in the league. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whichever way it works out. Yeah, so it's a, you know, we could carry on like that. So if you look at it, I don't think you can look at the season as a whole. As There really were three phases which were so distinct one yeah. from the other that we have to look at it that way. The first phase was absolutely awful. The second was um, comforting because it showed we still had fight in it. And the third is, was and is exciting and nowhere near the perfect you know, um, mix yet. I mean, what happened against Villa, what happened against Brighton, um, you know, that, these are proofs that there are still a lot of um, you know, um, mm. uh, areas, lots of areas in which this team can improve, but it has the potential to improve. You don't have the feeling that you're part of a decline any longer. That's the main thing. You don't think, well, you didn't before yeah. the stupid things which have happened, but you, you really felt... Actually, no, we've, we've, we've reached the bottom of the barrel and now we're starting to make our way up. Can, and, and we've yeah. got the right guy in charge well, to... And because that's the biggest plus is Mikel Arteta. Yeah, and well, that, there's absolutely no doubt about that. I was going to say to you, though, like, can I put it to you that the reason I certainly um, you know, feel positive about what we could do is, is Mikel Arteta. Have you been surprised by him? Have you been... Yep. Uh, I, I guess impressed by him with the way yep. that he has had to deal with. I mean, I don't think any manager in history, any football manager ever, has had to contend with so many things in the early stages of their career. Um, when you think about the mess he inherited, and not for the first time, you know, when he arrived as a player, he he walked into a mess as well. Um, but you know the mess, the post Emery thing, the Shaka situation, the Mustafi situation, the 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 sense that um, fans and the club had become disconnected during the end of that Emery era, not helped again by some poor communication where you know fans were dismissed as noise. You know he had a, an imbalanced mm-hmm. squad. He had some 
uh, players brought in in January who, you know, at least one of them didn't make a lot of sense. One of them did. Um, then there was the, you know, the, the lockdown. He gets COVID-19. Uh, you know, there are just so many things for a manager to deal with and to come out on top after six months, seven months um, of real time, if you like, but only four or five months within the job itself with a trophy has been hugely impressive. And, and where I feel encouraged and optimistic about Arsenal and where it might go lies almost entirely with Mikel Arteta. Yeah. And um, in fairness, we we, you know, we we couldn't guess what he would be like um, and how he, how he would succeed because he had absolutely zero experience of management. He, he had obviously been a very fine assistant manager to, you know, the most successful team in the country um, and with, you know, a quite a mentor we knew he was also somebody who mentally had uh, to speak like us and Wenger was had a lot of he had a lot of mental strengths and uh, <laughs> because it's something he'd shown all through his career there was this remarkable I saw this exchange that you had on Twitter with uh, the, this chap who reminded you that uh, or, or, or who told you that he'd been the guy who uh, scored the penalty kick when he was 21 years old. He took the ball from experienced players in front of Ronald de Boer when he was at Rangers yeah. to shoot the penalty kick, which gave Rangers, uh, Rangers the title on goal difference. Yeah. For, or by one point. Wow, at 20, 20 years of age, 21 years of age. That's the kind of character he's, you know, he, he's, he's demonstrated. But also... Perhaps what did, what surprised me is that I think many of us were a little bit uh, worried that we would get a kind of uh, Pep Mark II or Pep Light, and that's not at all what we've got. Mm. Not at all. He's not obviously he's a very pragmatic coach. That's one th which is a wonderful quality. I absolutely love that. Not somebody. He's got principles such as you know he wants to play from the back, and he's actually managed to teach our team to play from the back in a rather satisfying way. I thought actually the FA Cup final. Yeah, it was Some great. of the play from the back was exceptionally yeah. good. Yeah. And um, so he's he's capable of doing that, but he doesn't have. To me, it doesn't seem to have an ideology as such. He seems to be somebody who's got principles and then is pragmatic enough to know how to bend these principles to what he's got at his disposal and who is confronting him. He's very good as well as, as somebody to prepare his teams tactically against the big guns, which he did against Liverpool and Manchester City, which is something we haven't had, hadn't been able, and Chelsea, something which we hadn't been able to do in the past. So you put all that together, you think, my goodness, we've got a serious contender here. And uh, let's hope we keep him. <laughs> uh, and let's hope that he's really the guy who takes the decisions. I, I don't know if Mikel Arteta wanted William. I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, I think... I think there are some stories that he does or he did, or certainly if, if somebody said to him, do you want Willie? And he said yes, and could see that there's a benefit in that, you know, yep. to his team. So from that point of view, you know, whatever concerns I have or you have or other people might have, if, if Arteta wants him, I think he's earned the, the trust of fans yep. thus far. Um, you know, for, for the rest of us, when we're looking at it from a wider context, perhaps Mikel Arteta is looking at it, well, what can this guy bring to my team? Can mm. they get him for me? I can find a use for this guy uh, for two seasons, whatever it might be. After that, that's not really my concern. That's the job of the executive. So maybe that's the the, the prism through through which he's uh, looking at it. Um, you know, I do feel like uh, as a man, as a communicator, as somebody who 
who talks about wanting the best for the club and and to get the club back to where it wants to be i i feel like there's a there's an openness and there's an honesty uh, from him when he talks about yes. those things which mm. i i have to say i find reassuring uh, particularly at the moment when i think about some of the stuff that's going on and some of the stuff about the club that that i find hard to take or a bit more uh, unpalatable to have somebody like him there provides that that balance if you like so i don't go completely screaming off the cliff edge no and and, uh, and and you look at it because when you look at the club hierarchy uh, there are quite a few people there which very happy to to see in place i mean i'm really happy that freddie is still with us yeah know? i'm happy that per Zaka is with us yeah there are lots of people that you think, ah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, there's there's a nucleus there of some. Obviously, the academy must be working all right, given the number of players who are coming through. Yeah, must be doing something right here. So obviously, we are scouting <laughs> and detecting this this to keep them away from our, you know, competitors. Mm-hmm. So you think actually, you know, there's a, a nucleus there, and there is, a, which is why it is also frustrating because you think there's a nucleus there for for a club that is genuinely going forward. And uh, these are not empty words. But then there are the structural problems. And you wonder at one point, you know, there's going to be yet again another uh, meeting of uh, two forces uh, which don't necessarily want to go in the same direction. Or at least want to nominally go to Mm. the same destination, but in different ways. Exactly, yes. Mm. Because obviously success remains the objective of everybody, one mm. would like to think. Well, one can only hope. One can only hope. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'll wait and see how it all plays out. Um, there's a lot of work to do, obviously. And, and Arteta himself has been quite blunt and forthright about what the club need to do, you know, to improve and to, you know, put us back on track and to put us back where where he feels we belong and in many ways where, where Arsenal fans feel we belong. We'll have a better idea of how that's going a little later in the transfer window. So we might catch up with you then. Uh, but as, as ever, Philippe, uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I hope the listeners have too. Thank you very much, Andrew. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you as always to Filippo Claire. You can follow him on Twitter if you're not already at Filippo Claire. That is at 
Philippe Eau Claire. So, uh, fairly heavy going today, although we did end it in a positive way, talking about Mikel Arteta, the impact he's had, the influence he's had, and hopefully where he can take us in the future, assuming he is given the tools and the uh, resources to make that happen. Fingers crossed on all counts. Um this is the first Ars cast of the end of the season, I guess. We are going to keep it going uh, through the off-season, the transfer period, whatever you want to call it. You can't really say the summer because summer is nearly over. But the schedule, the Ars cast schedule, will, will remain the same. Ars cast Extra on Monday with James and Ars cast Regular on Friday. No doubt we'll do some extra podcasts in between as well. And if you're a Patreon member, you definitely get some extra podcasts, including the very first transfer podcast we did yesterday before all the stuff um went down you might say myself and james Benge from football london had a good chat about transfers so if you're a patreon member you can find that on your uh, feed right now if you're not patreon.com forward slash arsblog and you can sign up for uh, a five or a month if you want if you don't want to it's fine as well but we really do appreciate all the support we've got from our members we will be doing extra bits and pieces for you over the course of this uh, next few weeks until the new season begins again um, to all of you for listening throughout the season as well thank you very much indeed I know I said this on Monday on the Arscast Extra but I really do mean it it's uh, it's great to have you along hopefully there'll be some good stories some ups and downs of course between now and uh, things kicking off again but whatever it is we'll talk about it we'll chat about it and hopefully try and make some sense about it too until the next one folks we'll catch you then take it easy cheers bye bye